Welcome to Season 2 of Fracktown Gumshoe, Holy Fits, based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill. Chapter 15 I decided to drive back downtown for some of Lupe's Mexican cooking. Maybe the canned mariachi music, some chicken enchiladas, and a shot of tequila would clear my head, take my mind off of Fiona. I slid into the booth, across the bright orange plastic covering the bench seat. I always faced the door. After all my years as a cop, I could never sit in a public place with my back to the entrance. I wanted to face any larcenous bastard who thought he could come through the door guns blazing and ruin my dinner. He'd only do it once. Ay, me papi. Lupe signaled towards the back of the restaurant for someone to bring some salsa and chips as she slipped into the booth beside me. She leaned against me, pressing her full breasts against my arm and smiling. Her perfume of cumin, garlic, and soap made me smile. What can I get for you, Feets? Lupe's smile lit up her whole face like a warm summer sunshine. I lay my hand across her arm. If I'd met someone like Lupe back when I was a young SP at Lackland Air Force Base instead of a lonely wing commander's wife, my life might have taken an entirely different trajectory. I wonder how Maria Gallione Fitzhugh would have taken to a couple little brown-faced grandchildren. Hell, with Italian, Irish, and Mexican all in one family, we could start our own ethnic neighborhood in F-Town all by ourselves. I don't know, senorita. Depends on what you're selling. Lupe and I traded patter like this all the time, but it was harmless. She had an engagement ring the size of a walnut on her finger from Guillermo back in the kitchen, and her father, who owned the place, had hopes of turning the place over to them in a few years. And who was I to argue with a man who kept a baseball bat behind the bar? Besides, I had Gracie. Feats, honey, tonight is chicken mole or tacos al pastor. No enchiladas? For you, there's always enchiladas. The others are specials for the gallery show tonight. Can I get you a dos equis beer too? When times were good and Fawcettville still had a thriving downtown, Kleiman's department store was where Ma bought all the good clothes we wore to mass and Dad searched for suits. Today, Kleinman's was a broken-down series of artist studios where every wannabe Van Gogh could find a 10 by 10 space to set up their easel and paint crap. Once a month, the Arts Council folks brought in some sort of third-tier painter or sculpture show and charged folks admission to see what they probably could have made for themselves in three or four classes at the community center. The Chamber of Commerce got hold of it, conned restaurants into lowering prices or offering some sort of special, and christened it Gallery Night. The patrons were largely folks from University Heights, the overeducated upper class and professionals who ruined it for any of us who wanted to sit in our sweatpants in Fawcettville's seedier bars and curse loudly when the Indians or the Browns lost. Gracie dragged me to a couple gallery nights when we were dating. I hated every moment. It's been a lousy day, Lupe. Bring me some Patron, straight up, and the chicken enchiladas. You got it, puppy. Lupe slid out of the booth. She returned with a shot glass filled with clear liquid. I tossed it back and handed it to her. Bring me another. You have had a bad day, haven't you? Two shots of Patron later, I still couldn't come to terms with what Reisner told me about Fiona, but I was caring less about it. By the time my enchiladas arrived, another shot ensured I really didn't give a fuck at all. Enough of the taquilla, Carreño, Lupe said. I'm bringing you beer from now on. I was halfway through my dinner when I looked up to see an elegant, older woman walk through the door. Just exactly the type who made up the majority of the gallery night visitors. 
She had carefully coiffed hair, tastefully highlighted to hide the gray, a chunky gold necklace around her crepey neck and matching earrings. A turquoise sweater grazed her shoulders and matched her tank top. She wore a white skirt and white sandals with gold embellishments. It took me a minute, but I recognized her. It was Millie Angelis, the widow of the university's late comptroller, Harvey Angelis. Gracie introduced me to her a couple of years ago at a faculty Christmas party. Harvey was the life of the party that December night. Certainly more fun than I thought a guy who spent his days with numbers and spreadsheets could be. By the following April, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And that June, he was gone. Millie suffered the fate of most university widows. She was included in events for a couple months. Folks remembered her at the first Christmas after Harvey's death. And then she kind of fell off the radar. I bet I hadn't heard Gracie mention her name in more than a year. Apparently, she hadn't fallen off of everyone's radar. Her companion looked very familiar. He was gray-haired and square-jawed. Aviator sunglasses covered his eyes. He looked just like he'd come off the links in a navy polo shirt and khaki pants. He wasn't wearing socks with his topsiders. He pulled out a chair and faced me in one of the center tables. Millie looked up at him, simpering, as she slid into the seat. As she turned to scoot herself closer to the table, I caught a smirk flash across her face. He took his sunglasses off as he took his seat, like me, facing the door, and I caught a glimpse of snake-green eyes. Even out of his ecclesiastical robes, I could tell it was St. Giles or Kovach or whatever the hell his name was. In addition to the mysterious female that Slocum had seen entering the abbey, the scumbag was preying on poor widows. Again. Thankfully, Millie didn't recognize me, too engrossed in the slime ball in front of her. I couldn't make out what line he was feeding her. As they leaned in together, St. Giles took Millie's arthritic hand and brushed his lips across her knuckles. Millie giggled like a schoolgirl. Lupe appeared at their table to take their drink orders, winking at me across the room. Millie giggled again and Lupe rolled her eyes. I grabbed Lupe's hand when she walked past and motioned her close to me. Do you know who they are? I whispered. Lupe shrugged. I've never seen him, but she's been here before. They've been here every night this week, she hissed in my ear. She can't have been single very long. She's falling for every line of crap he's feeding her. If Guillermo would try that garbage on me, I would slap him so hard. What is he saying to her? Lupe's eyes rolled. Let me go get their drinks and I'll be right back. I slipped to the other side of the booth to try to hear what he was saying. The world's media was full of true stories of intelligent women who fell for this garbage all the time. How outrageous were St. Giles' stories? Did he tell Millie he was an investment banker? A spy? A soldier of fortune? A world-famous brain surgeon? What about his money? Was it all tied up in offshore accounts with crooked business partners who were trying to kill him? Why didn't Millie, like other women, realize those kinds of assholes don't come to F-Town unless the pickings are easy? Probably because her loneliness made her more susceptible to his charms. Harvey had been dead a while. I'm betting Millie's social life centered like Ma's, around her grandchildren, her church, and her weekly bridge game with other university retirees. The Patron made my imagination run wild and my temper rise. I still couldn't make out what he was saying. St. Giles' voice was low and smooth, and Millie giggled at nearly everything he said, whatever it was. Lupe had a big fake smile on her face when she returned to their table. 
She placed a glass of white wine in front of each one of them and took their food orders. She slipped the order across the stainless steel pass-through behind the bar that led to Guillermo's kitchen and returned to my table. They've been here three nights this week, she hissed. He tried to pay for the first night, but his credit card was declined, so she paid, and she's been paying ever since. What was the name on the credit card? I don't remember. What is he saying to her? I repeated. Lupe rolled her eyes. Sick bastard. Every cheap line you can think of. I can see it in her eyes. She is falling for this. Lupe sputtered as her English failed her. Culo. Want him out of here? I asked. Feats, no. Lupe grabbed my sleeve as I slid towards the edge of the booth. You've had too much to drink. I shook off her grasp and I stepped over to Millie's table. Hello, Millie, I said, extending my hand. I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Grace Darcy's husband, Nicola Fitzhugh. Call me Fitz. We met at a faculty party a couple years back. I'm so sorry to hear about Harvey. Oh, yes, thank you. Glad to see you're not sitting home alone these days. Who's this? I turned to St. Giles. He sat up straighter, trying not to look panicked. A frozen smile pasted on his face. This is my friend Jeffrey Winehouse. Millie gestured graciously towards St. Giles. Is that the name you're going by these days, Jeff? Winehouse? What about St. Giles? Or Kovach? I don't know what you were talking about. You must have me confused with someone else. He didn't have the same faith-sedated tone in his voice this time. I could see the threats in his eyes. Do I? You didn't mention the Abbey outside of town? And the name Benedict St. Giles? Fitz, I'm sure you're confused, Millie said, smiling. He's not a pastor with any church. He's a partner in one of the fracking companies here in Fawcettville. Oh, uh, so it's fracking now. Did you tell her your money was tied up in a big deal somewhere? Is that why she's buying dinner again tonight? St. Giles threw his napkin on the table and stood. May I speak with you outside? Sure. I'm very interested in your technique of fleecing gullible widows. I followed him outside to the sidewalk and toward the alley beside the restaurant. Are you going to convince Millie she's going to be a nun like you did Eileen O'Connor? St. Giles turned and grabbed me by my collar, shoving me against the wall. You need to walk away, Fitzhugh. And you need to walk away now. Do I? I know more about you than you think. I pushed back, and he let go of my jacket. I kept pushing, jabbing him in the chest with my fingers. St. Giles fell back a step with each punctuating shove. I know you have fleeced widows before. I know you've been run out of at least three other states with this fake priest deal. You may have soaked Eileen O'Connor for 50 grand, but Millie Angeles is not going to be your next victim. I wasn't drunk enough to think I'd cornered him. He'd react sooner or later. At least I'd hope so. I could claim self-defense when I decked him. You killed Mark Rafferty, and I've got proof. Feets, stop! Lupe rushed from the restaurant into the alley, grabbing my arm. Millie was right behind her, twisting her hands. St. Giles grabbed me and Lupe and slung us against the wall. Millie screamed as we fell and he ran past her, bringing Lupe's father from the restaurant, wielding his bat. Kovach, St. Giles, stop! I yelled as I jumped up to chase him. St. Giles was agile, moving through the folks who wandered from the few downtown restaurants and bars to the gallery. I must have just looked stupid. Stop that man! Stop him! I yelled. Folks only stared at me and jumped out of the way. Just as my lungs began to burn, St. Giles turned the corner and disappeared. Wheezing, I walked back to Lupe's, holding my side. 
Jesus, I'm too old for foot pursuits, I gasped, leaning against the brick wall. It's okay, Papa, it's okay. Volver a entrar. Todo es bien, Lupe said to her father. Fitz, you need to go home, right now. I can't have you treating my customers like this, especially after you've been drinking. Please, he was only looking out for me. How did you know him, Fitz? Millie wipes tears from her face. I feel so stupid. I dusted myself off and hugged her. He's a very dangerous man, Millie. I'm glad I could help you. You didn't lend him any money, did you? He told me he needed 20000 in order to start a new drill field north of town. And that's why his credit card was declined, Millie said, crestfallen. His partners were back in Pittsburgh, and they were too extended themselves to get in on this. I was supposed to give him the money tomorrow. We were going to visit the gallery show after dinner to celebrate. Thank God you didn't, Lupe said. My daughter said I needed to get out of the house, to meet people. Dad's been dead long enough, she said. It's time, Mom. She signed me up for this online dating site, Millie's voice trailed off. I'm so embarrassed. Don't be. Had you told anyone you were going to do that? I asked. No. He said he'd paid me back within a month, after one of his partners paid him back. I didn't think it was anybody's business. Call the police and tell them what almost happened to you. He can't get away with this. I'm going after that bastard. Still short of breath, I leaned against the wall and pulled the excursion keys out of my pants pocket. St. Giles had conned Eileen O'Connor, and some new woman was poised to get sucked into that damn abbey. Now Millie Angelus had come dangerously close to trouble, too. I jumped into the SUV and cranked the engine. It was time for that bastard to pay the piper, if it was the last thing I'd do. The Patron had worn off. Now I was just plain pissed off. A block away from Lupe's, something rustled in my back seat. I jerked the wheel sharply and recovered control as a disheveled, bruised woman rose in my rearview mirror. She jammed a cold gun barrel behind my right ear. Don't turn around, Fiona hissed as our eyes connected. Keep driving. We hope you're enjoying Fracktown Gumshoe. If you are, please tell a friend. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review. When you leave a review, you raise our visibility so more folks can find us. Thanks. This episode is narrated by Casey Martin. Fracktown Gumshoe is based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill.